This morning we come to that line in the creed that has ended up being the one most asked about. So let's say the creed together. This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Have some of you memorized that during this time? Have any, has anybody memorized it since we've been saying it? I know I did. <laughs> this is the first time I've known the creed by heart, but I got it pretty well down now. And lots of folks have asked me about the Holy Catholic Church. I want to read about the holiness of the church for you, okay? The holiness of the church is mentioned at least in two places in the Bible, and I'm selecting the one that people read at weddings, all right? I read from chapter 5 of Ephesians already, that portion that we started the scripture with, uh, started the service with, and now I want to read beginning in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think that's a verse that everybody in the body can see applies to the communion of saints. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. To make her holy. He loved the church and gave himself for the church to make her holy. As a preschooler, I experienced the church in individual people who loved me. I didn't really experience the body, just the people. People like Mac and Mary McDermott, who took me under wing when I was one of five little boys, loved me, showed me I was special, bought me something unique, and asked about me to my mother throughout my life. When my father died, they were there at the funeral. I stepped out of the line, put my arms around them, and hugged them very tight and said, thank you for loving me when I was a little boy. 
I didn't know they were both going to go to heaven right away. But a tractor-trailer rig hit their car the next day, and Mary died instantly, and Mac died a week later, never having regained consciousness. The last thing I said to them was, thank you for loving me, before they went on to heaven. I experienced the church more as a body when I was in elementary school where I sat with the congregation in a set of pews about as large as this section right here. That would have been the whole church. And knelt with the men when they prayed in a back room with a hard wooden floor. And while they prayed for the cares of the world, I prayed for my family and friends. I have been nurtured and grown in the church of Jesus Christ. I've never belonged to a church this big until I became a pastor. I grew up in the, in the little church. Some people think this is a small church compared to what they've been in before, and some people think it's a big church compared to what they've been in before. You, along with 56 million other Americans, are in church today in 300,000 Christian churches all over this country on average there are 75 people in that church I wish sometimes we could pull back and see the width and the height and the depth of the church of Jesus Christ. If we pull back a little, we could see that there are many hundreds of other churches where people are gathering right now in our city. And a little further, we could see thousands of congregations like us gathering in places all over our state and 300,000 congregations gathering in these United States and literally millions of congregations in Africa and Asia and Europe and South America and all over the world today. When we confess, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we are pointing to this reality that while the church has a local expression, a body of believers that knows each other and worships together, the word church is also used to describe the church in its majesty, not only in geography, but through the generations. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there he uses the word church in a way that describes this majestic church, this universal church. That's what the word Catholic means. Now, this church belongs to Jesus. I will build my church. 
He is the origin of the church. The church only exists because of Jesus. It has no reason to exist outside of Jesus. It was birthed in faith in Jesus, dead, buried, and risen on the third day. It's why we are Jesus' people. The church belongs to Jesus. It finds its origin in him. He is the owner of the church. It is my church. He says he is cleansing this church so he will present it to himself as a radiant church without spot or blemish or any such thing. Jesus is the life of the church. This is pictured in baptism where we go into the water and we are buried with him by baptism into his death. That just like Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we walk in a new life. What's new about this life that we have? It is the life of Christ. Jesus and I share one life now, and it is his life. And so the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is the life of the church, and Jesus is the love of the church. We can't help but love him who loved us, who gave his life for us, who laid down his life for us. Jesus loves the church so passionately we respond in love to him. This church that Jesus builds, that Jesus loves, that loves him back is described in the book of Revelation where a great crowd is gathered and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And here we learn that the church is wide-reaching that it is wide-ranging and all-embracing. It includes every expression of the body of Christ from the smallest to the largest in every culture and every generation. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It has endured through the centuries, through conflict and adversity, through inner turmoil and heresy, and remains today as a witness to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why the church is here. That's who we are. We proclaim Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of the world. The church is God's plan. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God has an intention for his church. He has a plan for his church. He is going to deliver his word through his church so that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth in every generation. God calls his people out. That's what holy means. The essential nature of holiness is that we are called out to be his the church is universal, and the church is holy. Peter says, you are a holy nation, a royal people, a chosen people, a people for God's own possession. 
The word church in Greek means called out. It's a little prefix, ek, which means out, and klesia, which means called. So we are the called out people. We have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. God has been busy through the generations of human history, help, uh, seeking to communicate his character, his person, and his love to all people on the planet. He called Abraham and said, through you, if you'll be faithful to me, all families in the earth will be blessed. I'm going to I'm going to bless every family on the planet through you, Abraham. That's the Abrahamic covenant that God makes with him. It's not just for the Jews. It's for everybody, every family on earth. Abraham, that's what I'm going to do. You say, how in the world did, Jesus, did God get that done? He got it done in his one and only son, Jesus, who is also the son of Jesse and the son of David and of the stock of Abraham. And he is the one who took the blessings and promises made to Abraham and flung them out across the world and through the generations so the people of every tongue, tribe, nation, everyone might know the goodness of God rained down through Jesus Christ. This is the church. It is holy in its position. It is positioned now in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It is separated unto God for his purposes. You are holy in that same way, though maybe you don't claim it. The communion of saints is about a holy people. The word saints, just the word holy in the plural, holy ones. You are the holy ones. Well, what's holy about me? You've been set apart for the purposes of God. You've been called out to be his own. You are a chosen person. That's what's holy about you. And the church is holy in that way too. It is holy in its destination because God is working on his church. He's going to cleanse it with his word so that one day Christ will present to himself this radiant bride with no spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy. That's what God is doing. The church is holy in its proclamation, for we proclaim a holy word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to holy people who trust in the Holy One and have entered into the Holy of Holies through the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. So our proclamation is holy. Our purpose is holy. God has called us to represent him in the world, to be his hands and feet in this place. So in this world, the scripture says, we are like Jesus. The church is holy in its purpose. And God is doing something special in the church. He is growing us in holiness Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to, ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. There's an ought to how people ought to conduct themselves. There's a responsibility to be in the church. 
there's a weight upon us as we carry the name of Jesus in our generation. The church is a communion of saints. When the word communion is used in your King James Bible, it translates the familiar Greek word koinonia, which we usually translate fellowship. Sometimes when I think communion of saints, I see the Lord's Supper table and I see the elements on the table as we observed last week, and I think that's the communion of saints, and that is true. Part of the communion of saints is the breaking of bread, the passing of the elements, and joined together this meal that Jesus has given us through which we remember him. But it illustrates the truth that the church is gathered around the table every day in every way that we receive our very life from the Lord who loves us. That we are a communion, a fellowship of saints. That's who we are. And the strength of our communion is what pulls us toward maturity in Christ. The communion, if we are vitally connected, this fellowship, if we know one another's names and we're living life together as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, this communion, this fellowship helps keep us holy. It challenges our sin. It draws us toward the Savior. It makes us examine our lives as we are the communion, the fellowship of saints. We give one another permission to get in our business and ask us the questions that are penetrating and purposeful and seek to discover whether we are walking in Christ or not. And if we are on the periphery of the church, if we are not engaged with brothers and sisters in the body in this intimate way, in this life journey together, then we are missing a component through which the Holy Spirit brings holiness to our lives. There's something very important that is not there, the communion of the saints. You say, well, I don't feel like a saint. I don't feel very holy. The church doesn't look very holy to me. It's sad but true. The church is made up of sinners, you and me. And the church doesn't always look holy. Sometimes it looks full of holes, doesn't it? Sometimes it looks like the scripture says here, stained and wrinkled and blemished. The truth of the matter is, this church and every church suffers from sin and wickedness that comes into the body. I wish I could tell you otherwise, but since the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, I must tell you the truth that every spiritual malady which afflicts the people outside these doors somehow finds its way in these doors and touches the church. Every church in every age in every geographical setting is the same way. It doesn't appear to have the holiness of her Lord. Oftentimes it looks afflicted by these very things that plague the culture in which it is planted. And it's the truth about the church. 
when I came to New Orleans. I pledged in my heart and said, God, I do not want to bring scandal to the body of Christ because I remember scandal in the church of Jesus Christ here in this city where the word of God is so needed. But you see, sin creeps in in every church. And you may say, why? Perhaps you think, well, it is the lost part of the church. Not everybody in the room has actually trusted Jesus as Savior. Not everybody's a Christian. And so the wheat and the weeds grow together. Like Jesus told the parable, and the disciples said, well, do you want us to pull up the weeds and get them out of the wheat? And the master said, no, let the weeds and the wheat grow until the harvest comes, and then the angels will separate them out. And so the church has always been weeds and wheat. It's always been that. From the very beginning, Jesus said it would be. And anybody who thinks they can tear out the wheat without tearing out the wheat is wrong. You can't do it. But it's not just the periphery of the church that is stained by sin. Sin creeps into the hearts of deacons and Bible teachers and pastors. It comes to the very heart of the church. And it's not as if it's a single solitary church in which it occurs even the church in the New Testament, the early church, the church we read about in the book of Acts, was fighting among its members with its liars and adulterers and fornicators and idolaters and greedy and boasting people full of pride. The church has always had these very things in its number in the body. And it discourages people to see the sinfulness of the church. But the truth of the matter is, if you want to find why the church is flawed, all you need to do is think about what happens between your two ears. You know what I'm talking about? Aren't you glad that the thoughts that invade right here don't come out of your mouth like ticker tape? You know, the scripture says the, the heart of man is only evil continually. These things go on inside of us. They are in our heart. We know about wickedness. We know about sin. We know about rebellion against God. It happens in us. It happens to us. We sit in the pew and say, I hope nobody finds out about what's happened. I don't want anybody to know the dark secrets of my life, the sins that have invaded we keep them under cover of darkness, hoping nobody will discover. But the scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. What do you do when unholiness has crept into the church 
and you feel the stain and the blemish of it. How do you respond? Do you say, well, that's it for me. I don't believe in the church anymore. I'm going somewhere else. Sometimes people come to the pastor, try to tell them about the nature of the church. Well, I've been in the church all my life and not just sitting on the edge. And I know what Christian people are capable of and what happens in the church. And what must happen now, brothers and sisters, is that we must respond in a holy way to the unholiness that has come into the church. We don't want to add our unholiness to it, our unholy talk or behavior or thoughts or relationships. We want to respond in holiness to the unholiness that has happened. How do you do that? Number one, you focus on Jesus. There's a book in the Bible, as I told you before, written to help people whose churches come apart at the seams sometimes. It looks like as you read the book of Hebrews and folks have left who said they were saved and they left the heart of the church and they went outside and said they weren't saved anymore. And the author of Hebrews writes to people who are confused about whether they're saved or not, these folks that left and now maybe want to come back. And he gives them what we call the roll call of faith. These heroes of the faith who trusted God in the generations, they weren't perfect. They did terrible things, some of them. In fact, some of those heroes of faith were scandalous sinners. But he gives that roll call of faith, and then he says, look, they're in a great stadium sitting around you. Just think of it this way. You're compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses watching you. What ought you to do? Number one, you keep your eyes on Jesus. Lay aside every weight, the sin that so easily besets you. It's easy to talk about other people's sin. The sin that besets you and run with patience the race that is set before you. You watch somebody else run in their race, you're going to get outside the lines and disqualify yourself. You need to run the race that is set before you. How do I do that, Lord, when I'm discouraged, when I'm troubled? Maybe when I'm confused, when I'm angry, when I feel guilty. How do I do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the completer of our faith. You just keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the one you need to see in the middle of the trouble, when unholiness has come, when darkness seems like it's all around, when you don't know what to do, you find Jesus in your vision and you keep him in the middle. Look unto Jesus. You watch him in particular as he dies on the cross. Look unto Jesus. There's lots of places you could see him, but you see him at Calvary. The joy set before him endured the cross. And somehow as you look to Jesus in the giving of his life, in the laying down of himself for the church that he loved, 
He will bring healing to your heart and holiness to your life. Look unto Jesus. Number two, how do you respond to unholiness? Examine yourself lest you also be tempted. That's Galatians chapter 6, 1. Sometimes people are trying to repair others. Sometimes they're commenting on other people's sin when they themselves have been tempted and are about to fall. So you watch yourself. The unexamined life, somebody said, isn't worth living. Let every man examine himself. It's a good time to take a look at yourself and make sure that you're contributing to the holiness of the church, to the wonderful reputation of Jesus, not detracting from it. It's a good time for self examination to say Lord I want to be holy like you are holy I hear the call to maturity and perfection in my faith Lord draw me that way look unto Jesus examine yourself live the life of prayer sometimes it's hard to pray when you are disappointed when you are confused when you are fearful it's hard to pray but those are the times when you must and in the place of prayer, God will do his work in you. And he will sanctify not only your behavior and your words, but he will also sanctify your mind. He'll set it apart. He'll help you grow intellectually as you pray through the trouble. Number four, stay in this book. This is the holy word of God. And you just heard me read that Jesus, who owns the church and created the church, is cleansing his church by the washing with water through the word. You're not going to be who God's called you to be. You're not going to have the strength he wants you to have. You're not going to have holiness happening in your life if you neglect the Word of God. You need to be there every day, and you need to have a better plan then. Okay, I think I'll pray this morning. I'm just going to pop the Bible open and read something. You need something better than that. You know what I'm doing? I'm reading the Bible daily, going through the Bible this year, once again. And I am discovering that when I take the assigned text and I start reading it, wherever I am in my journey, God starts speaking to me. It feels like it's written for me. I see myself in the text and in the Word, and God ministers His encouragement and His heart to me. It is just being back in the Word. Somehow, if you'll just get in the plan, get you the Bible app, click on today, start reading right here, God's going to do something in your life through His Word. He will address the needs of your heart if you will get in this word. If you neglect this word, God can't get to you like he wants to. His access to your heart is limited because you're not in the word. He cleans you with this word. This is a very important time for you as a part of the body to be reading this book. I hope that today, if you have failed to be in his word, that you will find the plan, pick up where it is on March 8th, and start reading what God has for you. And let him cleanse you with his word. Now, these four things, 
are added to the one I already mentioned, which is you being connected to brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who are seeking to live the life of Christ with you. That happens because you intend for it to happen. Sometimes it's hard to find a place where you snap on, but you find somebody with whom you can connect, a couple of people with whom you can pray, and you start making it a regular practice to be connected to other believers in the body. That's the fellowship of the saints. And you give them permission to get into your business, to ask you the questions, to pray about the things that really trouble your life. And God will do his work of cleansing in you. And we will experience the Holy Spirit's activity in this body like never before as we come to God in transparency and honesty and confession and repentance and say to him, Lord, clean us Bow with me, please. The Holy Spirit is in this room taking his word to your heart. I know you believe in him. I want you to receive what he says about the sin that besets you, about the sin that's crouching at the door which is seeking to overcome you about the sin that is hidden in your life that you think is not hurting anybody, but it's pulling you back from who he wants you to be. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Speak your word to us. Oh, God, purify this preacher, these deacons, these teachers. God, purify this church. Lord, I pray for someone in the room who needs to make the step of faith and trust in Jesus that today would be the day. For somebody who needs to be vitally connected to the body that today would be the day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.